while seeking the leading and light of God's Spirit on his own word, we turn again to that passage of Scripture that we read together, the first book of Samuel and chapter 25. And we can read at verse 10 and take that as our connecting link. <clears throat> 1 Samuel 25, reading at verse 10. And Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? There be many servants nowadays that break away every man from his master. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my flesh that I have killed for my shearers and give it unto men whom I know not whence they be? So David's young men turned their way and went again and came and told him, all these sayings, and David said unto his men, Gird ye on, every man, his sword, and so on. <clears throat> the events of this chapter take place, as you know, I'm sure, in that period when David was fleeing from the enmity and a hatred, the murderous rage, in fact, of King Saul. And the events of the chapter concern a couple, Nabal and Abigail, with whom David became involved. Now, Nabal was a well-to-do farmer, and the events in the chapter take place when he and a squad of men were shearing the sheep. David, of course, was living a hand-to-mouth sort of existence, and he sends messengers to Nabal asking, in a very polite and reasonable way, for some food and supplies. Not only does Nabal refuse the request, but he does so in the most unpleasant manner. Sadly, David doesn't turn the other cheek, as he should have done, of course. He overreacts, and he would have done something truly terrible if Nabal's wife, Abigail, hadn't stopped him. She comes into the situation, as we saw, she pleads with David not to take revenge, and as we'll see in a moment, he listens to her wisdom before the end of the chapter and time didn't allow us to read on but before the end of the chapter Nabal actually dies very suddenly and Abigail's wife eventually becomes David's wife well let's see outline of the events but I want to focus this evening on two questions that we have here I want us to ask first of all what Nabal was like and secondly, what Abigail did, what he was like, and what she did. Well, what was Nabal like? What lay behind the events as they developed through the chapter? Well, I want to focus on two things about Nabal uh, for the moment. I want us just to notice, first of all, that Nabal was extremely ungrateful. He was extremely 
ungrateful. We're told in verse 7 that David and his men had guarded Nabal's flocks and Nabal's shepherds. In fact, they had done so, so well that not one of the beasts were missing. David, of course, was a shepherd himself, and he would have had a natural interest in helping this man with his flocks. Not one of them was missing. But what thanks does Nabal give to David? He sends David's messengers away with no food, an earful of abuse, and a denial that he owed David anything at all. Now, we can shake our heads as we read these verses. But the truth is that we ourselves are not so dissimilar to this man, Nabal. Is it not the fact, friend, that we are extremely ungrateful for every blessing that comes to us from the Lord? How forgetful we are of all his kindness and of all his goodness to us day by day. And I want you to focus this question in on yourself and examine in your own heart whether you are guilty of a spirit of ungratefulness to the Lord for all his goodness and all his gifts towards you. He has showered you with blessings, temporal blessings beyond what many in this world have, and spiritual blessings as well, even supposing it's only this, that you are and have been, maybe for all of your life, under the preaching of the gospel, being reminded constantly of your spiritual needs and directed countless times to a God in his grace who is ready to meet with you and to meet these spiritual needs. And surely all of these blessings, and I've only mentioned a fraction of a fraction of them, surely all of them demand from, from you a return, a response, a reaction. And yet is it not the case that you find yourself here this evening as far away from the Lord as ever you were in a non-converted, unsaved state? And for all God's blessings towards you, what precious, precious little there is to show by way of return. Maybe you were in a tight spot. And you prayed to the Lord. Maybe children, you've done this because we begin doing this as young children. And you found yourself in difficulty. You prayed to the Lord. And you made all sorts of promises. Maybe the Lord answered you. Maybe he answered you more than you ever expected. Where are the promises? Where are your vows? You've forgotten them. You've abandoned them. It's as though you know him nothing. It's as though he never, ever, ever visited you with blessing or with benefit. 
We were singing there in Psalm 103. Bless, O my soul, the Lord my God, and not forgetful be of all his gracious benefits. But that is exactly what you have been. You have been forgetful. And for all your days up until now, you have lived as though he hadn't blessed you with anything. As though you had never heard of God's word. As though you had never once heard of a savior. As though you had never once heard of a hell, of a hell to be shunned and a heaven to be gained. And it finds you this Lord's Day evening, still pressing on in that same way. Untouched, ungrateful, unthankful for all his blessings toward you. If Nabal could hang his head in shame, maybe my friend, you are not far behind him. Now Nabal tries to make excuses. You notice that in verse 10. He says, I don't know who this David is. But did you notice in our reading, he slips up because in the very next breath, he calls him the son of Jesse. He knew very well who David was. And you know, we can try to make the same excuses for our own attitude to the Lord, our own refusal to come to him, our own persistent disobedience to the call that he sends out in the gospel. Oh, there's, there's a thousand excuses. And when you've exhausted I think you will acknowledge that that's all they are, excuses, and pretty poor excuses at that. Like Nabal, we can try to plead ignorance. I don't really know. But if you're honest, I think you will acknowledge that you know very well. Nabal is ungrateful. But secondly, we notice that Nabal is also disrespectful. He is disrespectful. We see that in, in that verse, for instance, that I read in, in verse 10. Who, who is David? There are many servants nowadays, he says, who, who break away from their master. He dismisses David with a wave of his hand. Now, David was a respected figure. A respected figure in the nation. After all, he had delivered them from Goliath and from many other things too. So he was due respect. He was due honor. This wasn't the way to speak about David. And more importantly than any of David's exploits, it was only a fact that he was the Lord's anointed. That he was one set apart by God for a very special work in the nation. That demanded all the more respect. David's God's anointed. And given that there was a growing awareness of this in the land, it's very hard to believe that Nabal was unaware of that. Certainly, his wife was well aware of it. Did you notice around about verse 30? She seemed to know everything about it. She said, you are the Lord's anointed. You will, you will rise to the throne and the Lord is with you and will bless you. 
It's very hard to believe that he was as ignorant of all these things as he pretended to be. He did not give David the respect he was due. But whatever, my friend, is true of Nabal, it is only too true that we, that you, have not given the Lord the place and the honor that he is due. If David is God's anointed king, well, how much more is the Lord Jesus Christ? And yet you have neglected. You have neglected to give him the place that he is due in your heart and in your life up until now. And here you are tonight, still in an unconverted state. Here you are tonight, and he is not you, Lord. He is not your king. He is not the one whom you own above all others. He is perhaps somewhere in your reckoning. Perhaps he's not in your reckoning at all. None of us, or none of us, not even the Lord's people here, can say that they have given him with perfect consistency the honor that he is due, the place that he owns. And the Lord's people here tonight acknowledge that. But there is a word of difference between the failings and the stumblings of Christian people who fail to give up the place they need and that of men and women and boys and girls who consistently, all their days, every hour they have lived on this world, have failed to honor him, to come to him as he has called them, to bow the knee before him. Oh, what disrespect he receives. How often you have put other things ahead of him. Indeed, constantly you put other things ahead of him. All your life. And you come and you hear the gospel. On a day like this. And maybe it touches your conscience. And you say to yourself, well, it's going to be different. And I must amend my ways. And here I am heading into eternity. And I need to be saved. I need a savior. I need peace with God and forgiveness of sins. But I, this week, this week, it's going to be different. And what happens? You go to work. You go to school. It's gone. And if David was the Lord's anointed for an earthly throne, Let's just remind ourselves for one moment that the Lord Jesus Christ is, is God's anointed and God's appointed by his heavenly father to the highest honor, the name that is above every name. We are not to trifle with Christ. We are not to try and play fast and loose with the king of kings and the Lord of lords. How often he has called you, how often he has challenged you and spoken to you. Yet you have disregarded. You have smothered all thoughts. And you have pressed on. 
like Nabal. He is due all our honor. He is due all our all, in fact. Son, daughter, he said, give me your heart. And that is the one thing you have kept back, is it not? We're told in verse 3 that Nabal was a descendant of that godly man, Caleb, who followed the Lord holy. He should have known better. And perhaps you too, Christian parents, Christian grandparents, others who went before you and they were like Caleb, following the Lord holy. What about yourself? Are you more like Nabal? Going your own way, doing your own thing, taking all of God's blessings, just as Nabal took all of David's blessings, and then acting as though he owed you, as though you owed him nothing at all. But how long do you think that state of affairs can continue? So Nabal is ungrateful and disrespectful. And sadly, sadly, David reacts with fury. I don't want to get into that side of it this evening, but it's quite interesting just in the passing. If you read the previous chapter, you notice how patient he is with Saul. He would allow no thought of revenge. Not at all. But the best of men are only men at best. And David's anger boils over and he's threatening to kill Nabal and kill maybe others besides. Isn't it interesting that it's in this situation that David falls into the sin? He's in a far less difficult situation here than in chapter 24. If his anger had boiled over with Saul, you would have said, well, his life was in danger and all the rest of it. But he's here in a much easier situation. And it's then he stumbles. Oh, there's a lesson there for, for us. There's a lesson there, Christian, is there not? For yourself. The Christian can triumph in hard trials. And by God's grace, they come through it. What happens? We stumble at a much smaller one. Oh, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. The truth is that we are all as weak as water. David is caught off guard and he reacts in this shameful way. Get your swords, he says. His pride was wounded. His plans spoiled. And in an unjust and cruel way, He's going to take revenge. Oh, how often, how often we, we react like that. It's not true. Somebody says something, something happens. Get your sword, the sword of the tongue, and we'll cut them down to size. What poor creatures we are. But if David is guilty of overreacting, well, Nabal, is certainly guilty, ungrateful, disrespectful. Here is the king. Here is the Lord's anointed. And this is how he has treated him. 
while you ask yourself if it's true for you. What Nabal did, or what Nabal was like, Father. Secondly, what Abigail did. Somebody tells Abigail what her husband had done, and the fear that they had that David would try to get revenge. What did Abigail do? Well, Abigail did two things. First of all, <clears throat> she took the problem seriously. She didn't say, well, it's not my problem. That's Nabal, and he can look out for himself. No, she takes it seriously. And she sets out to act as a mediator between David and Nabal. Now, you know what a mediator is. Sure, children, you, 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 you'll, you'll have heard the word. Well, a mediator is somebody, to put it very simply, who comes between two people who, have, who are not friends anymore. They've fallen out. They've had a disagreement. and um, maybe if you and I fell out and somebody else might say, well, can we meet together? Can we put right what's put wrong? Well, that is what Abigail, Nabal's wife, does. She tries to mediate. Oh, Nabal needed a mediator. He was a guilty man. He is an inch from death. And if justice does its work, he's on his last day in this world. He's sheared his last sheep. But oh, what mercy. There is one who is ready to stand between the king and the man who has so horribly offended the king. There is one who takes it seriously, so seriously that she makes the journey and she comes. You have offended the king. And if divine justice is applied against you, only the awfulness of hell awaits you. Nothing else and nothing else for it, friend. Is there a mediator? Is there one who has made a journey? Is there one who has stirred up himself to stand between you and an offended God? Oh, marvel of marvel, there is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Nabal needed a mediator, and oh, friends, so do you. Because sin has driven a wedge between God and man left you exposed to the wrath and curse of God in this world and in the world to come. The one against whom you have sinned has taken the problem seriously and has taken to himself a remedy. And if Abigail went on a journey, what great journey he came on that would take him into this world to begin the work of redemption. What did Abigail do? She took the problem seriously. And secondly, she solved the problem wonderfully. She solved the problem wonderfully. What did she do? Well, she does two things. First of all, 
she takes the blame on herself. Verse 24, she fell at his feet and said, upon me, my Lord, upon me, let this iniquity be. She hadn't done anything. She hadn't been disrespectful. She hadn't been ungrateful. She was free from any guilt as far as this was concerned. And yet she steps in. And oh, she says, David, why don't you put it on my account? Let me carry the guilt. Let me take the burden. Nabal is foolish. Nabal is sinful. But David, spare him for my sake. There's that soul in church in Sandwick. And God's eye is there watching. And that soul, foolish and sinful. There is one who is ready to take the burden and the guilt to himself. Because you might be saying to yourself, Everything you've said is true. There can be no hope for me. I have broken God's law. I have rebelled against him. I have refused every call and summons he has ever given me. How can I stand before almighty God? Well, the truth is you can't. You can't. But he can. Christ can. And Christ does for his people exactly that. He has the, the charge laid to his account. David, she says, let this iniquity be on me. She took the blame on herself. And she brings a peace offering. You can read about it in verse 18. And David accepts it in verse 35. And what does he say to it in verse 35? Go in peace to thine house, he says. Go in peace. Well, not only does Christ step in between a sinner and an offended God, but he brings a peace offering. He is the peace offering. He offers himself because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. And he says to his people, go home in peace. For I have paid. I have resolved. I have done all that was required. She solved the problem wonderfully. But oh, how wonderful is the work of Christ. Making himself of no reputation. With his stripes we are healed. There is the road to peace with God. There is the road to heaven. It lies through Calvary. 
It lies through Christ taking the burden and the guilt and the curse and the shame and the enmity to himself so that pardon and peace is extended to the sinner. Nabal came very close to death. And you know, we are all walking on the edge of eternity. At any moment, we might be summoned into eternity and meet the Lord. Friend, how can you meet the Lord against whom you have sinned? What are you going to say to David's great son? You can't say he didn't give you anything. You can't say that your record is clean. It's everything but. But he says to you, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. But if you refuse and rebel, he says, there is no remedy at all. Nabal is a warning to us against refusing, rejecting, dismissing the Lord Jesus Christ, lest we too die without finding peace with God and pardon of our sins. Oh, friend, you need to repent of your sin. You must be born again. You need to be changed in heart and soul and life. And the God whom you have offended has made full provision. And he calls you to himself in order to receive these blessings. And what will you do with it? Is it the same response, the same turning away, the same rejection and refusal, the same pressing on that has marked your years? Or will there even today, tonight, be a cry from your heart? that he would save you and change you and make you a new creature. What a blessing if you went home tonight in peace. What a blessing if he said to you, as David said to her, go to thy house in peace, for your sins are forgiven and you have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. May God bless his word. Let us pray. Eternal Lord, we praise thy name for thy word and for every warning and reminder that we get in it of our needs as sinners and of Christ as our great Savior. Bless thy word today. And pardon all our sins, especially in holy things. For Jesus' sake, amen.